Thank you. Yes, I said I'm Jenny. Uh, nice to, well, I say nice to meet you. Nice to see you if I've not seen you before. Um, we are continuing our series this morning on Psalms. So I don't know about you. I think this series has been fantastic. What I have especially enjoyed is the range of human emotion that we've seen in the Psalms, but it teaching us how to deal with them properly. I think actually our society is really quick to tell us that our, our feelings are what their identity, what our feelings are, is what we should be and who we are. But actually, that's clear in the Bible that actually what we've seen in the Psalms is that our identity is in the goodness of God, it's in who God has made us to be, and that actually, instead of diminishing our emotions, that gives us freedom to express them healthily and teaches us how to do them. So that's what I've really enjoyed, and we've seen from the depths of grief to utter joy and everything in between, haven't we? So... This is Psalm 86. Sai uh, kicked off this kind of third book of the Psalms last week, and he, was it last week? Two weeks ago, last week. Last week. And um, it was really helpful. He pointed out, actually, whereas Psalm 2 was just really um, exciting, actually, Psalm 3, we've reached this kind of, it's a series of, of crises. The um, Israelites, they're, they're in crisis. It's dire. It's not particularly positive. But actually, in the light of that, I think we see really beautiful things about our relationship with God and David's relationship with God. So before we start, I will just say, this says it's written in the Psalm of David. I'm going to say that it's written in the Psalm of David. There's just a small chance it might not be. And sometimes what people used to do is they would say, this is the Psalm of David, meaning this is in the style of David. It's exactly as David would have done it. This is someone in David's family later on who's written it in exactly the style but actually, the amazing thing, I think, is that actually we know that Scripture is given to us and written by God. So whether it's David or not, and we'll say it is, we know that it's meant to be in here. It's meant to do us good, and we can learn from it. But I just thought I'd, I'd be honest, put it out there. We don't 100% know. But we are going to do things slightly differently today. I have, I talk, I've talked a lot this week. I think actually you can do some. If you are a visitor today, there is no need to panic. If you have never opened a Bible before, you do not need to panic. We can all do what I'm asking you to do. But before we do, we're going to read the psalm. And I've asked Sarah to come and help me. So Sarah's going to read it in the ESV version of the Bible. And I'm going to read it straight after in the NLT. So you can open your Bibles and look at whatever version you're using. Um, they will both appear before you, and we just want you to just enjoy the, the truth of what we read. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who come upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. 
You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favour, for those who hate me may see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Thank you. I'm going to read it again, but in the New Living Translation. So, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I'm calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all to ask who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I am in trouble, and you will answer me. No pagan god is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name. For you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honour you. With all my heart I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. You've rescued me from the depths of death. O God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. Send me a sign of your favour. Then those who hate me will be put to shame. For you, O Lord, help and comfort me. I know, it's amazing. Right, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you three minutes and I'm going to ask you to turn in small groups and I just want to ask you two very simple questions. If you're visiting and you're not comfortable doing that, you can, you can listen, you can just listen to your group, there's no pressure. But we're going to just look at two questions. Now you'll be familiar if you're regular here because we use them in our life groups. But they are, what does this psalm tell us about God? What does this psalm tell us about people or about us? And those two questions, I'm not going to pick on anyone at the end. We will get some feedback. Uh, we will ask for volunteers, but if I don't get volunteers, I will pick my life group because I know they're very capable. So you have been warned. So we're just going to have three minutes. Don't go away from the text. Not go on a ramble about what you think. Just what this text tells us about God and people. On your marks, set, Go. Okay, 
I'm going to get you to turn back, finish up your conversations. The fact that everyone's still talking means that there's going to be lots of feedback, I'm sure. Right, so we're going to, I'll, uh, Chris is going to run around for me. Um, put your hand up if you, uh, well, I say no, the answer, there isn't a right answer. If it's in the text, then it's going to teach us about God, isn't it? But um, if you want feedback, just really short answers, uh, hands up for what does it tell us about God? Anyone? Don't be shy. Mark Joyce, you're in my life group. Thank you. Go. Chris, you need to run. When I say runner, I mean runner. <laughs> uh, it tells us he is faithful and good. He is faithful. God is faithful and God is good. Anyone else? Oh, I, th- I thought I'd... Oh, here we go. When we call on him, he will answer because it says, I will call on you whenever I'm in trouble and you will answer me. No pagan God is like you. Yeah. So he's different from other gods. He will answer. He answers, yeah. And um, Pam had her hand up. He's also a protective God. He protects us all the time. Yeah, it talks about helping. It talks about God protecting. Yeah, David's calling out to him for that reason, isn't he? Perfect. Slow to anger and abounding in love. Yeah, he's not a harsh taskmaster, is he? He's slow to anger, but he abounds in love. His character is love. A couple more. Leone, thank you. Oh, do, yeah, do, um, Val and Vince, and then go over to Leone. Thanks. He's compassionate. Yeah, he's compassionate. And yeah, we've got merciful as well. He's merciful, and if you don't know what merciful means, it means that he doesn't punish us and give us the punishment that we, we deserved. He, he takes that from us. Kind and forgiving. Yeah, he's kind. He's kind to us. He forgives us when we mess up, and if you're like me, you do that a lot. Um, can we go on to people? Is that all right? Rod, can you think of one that always tells us about people? Oh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is that all right? Yeah, I wasn't going to do that. Oh, well, um, I know you can. <laughs> Yeah, people have to be trusting. They have to know that he's a God above all gods, that he will do everything that they ask of him if they believe in him. Yeah, that we have to trust him as people. Anyone else? We'll do two or three about people, about us, about David, about people. Yeah, I've got one. Um, That while the writer finds himself in a difficult situation, uh, he knows that God will save him and he will hear him. There you go. That is one of my key points, yeah, that he knows, that he knows he needs God and he knows that God will answer him. Uh, One more. No more. Go on, Chris. Uh, The writer's clearly weak um, and calling on God for his strength, so it says that, well, we can relate to that, can't we? In our weakness, he's strong. Thank you. That is, yeah, when we are weak, we need God. So thank you for doing my preach for me. That was brilliant. But actually, I think sometimes we, you know, we're very fortunate. We have really good preachers in our church, and and we can listen to them comfortably for half an hour, but we don't always have to, do we? The Bible is accessible for all of us. So most of us that stand up here are not, all of us, we're not scholars. We don't know what we're doing, but actually, God's word is accessible to all, and it changes our hearts if we let it, doesn't it? So yeah, I'm going to follow that theme. I'm just going to sum up with three kind of short points. And I really want to look at what Chris and what uh, Steve were saying, that actually we need, I think Duncan, we need God. Like David, we need God, but he is in control. So that is a good place to start. So I want to look at David and us. Then I'm going to look at God. And then I'm going to look at a response and what we can do in response to God. So David opens the psalm up, doesn't he? He says, I'm poor and needy. We see that he's desperate 
for God. He's calling out to God, not just to preserve his life, but actually for heartfelt prayer to know him, to be shown kindness, to be shown goodness, not just to be saved by him. And he never stops asking God through this psalm to intervene, to give, equip him, to show him favor, to show him kindness. And actually, he knows his need for God. He knows that without God, he is nothing. And that is really good news for us because we are in that position too. Actually, without God, we are nothing. We are poor. We are needy. Sometimes I think we can convince ourselves otherwise. You, maybe you can't, but I'm, I can go through maybe a couple of hours and then think, do you know, subconsciously perhaps, or consciously, I, I've got this, I can do this, and you think you're doing really well, and something happens, you forget something, or you make a mistake, or you realise, actually, I am a horrible person. Like, sometimes that, you might not have those thoughts, but I definitely do. Actually, you just think, oh, no, I need God. I am not in control at all. And do you know what? We all mess up. And Romans 7 puts it like this. It says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So like David, we are poor, we are needy. And as that's true for us as individuals, but it's true for us as a nation, isn't it? It's true for us as a world. Sai pointed out last week, what a mess our world is in, what a mess our nation is in. We need God this morning. But the fantastic news is that when we're poor, when we're needy, that is exactly where we're meant to be. That is exactly where we need to be, because we can come before God. David describes himself in verse 2 as godly in the ESV that we read. And I just wanted to point out, he's not saying, this is me, I've got it all together. I'm a godly person in the sense that we might see that word. But actually, he means, I am loyal to you, God. I'm committed to you. My heart is for you. And in verse 4, we read, I give myself to you. So David isn't calling on his own goodness or calling on anything he can bring, but he is calling, he recognizing his lack, and he is calling on the goodness and the kindness of God. One commentator I read said that the first seven verses, the opening verses, are just like the perfect prayer. God could scarcely resist it because the psalmist never stops asking, and he is rightly sure that such a God could never stop giving. So David holds his limits in tension with God and his character and the character of God, and he holds that in the right balance. And it leads to this desperation that he knows only God can intervene in his life. Only God can preserve and rescue him. Verse 7, I think it was what Duncan picked up. It said, I call to you whenever I am in trouble, and you will answer me. And I just was so struck by that. I thought, actually, as believers, if what would, that, what would our lives look like if that was our prayer next time we are in trouble? Next time we face stress at work, exam stress, thoughts about decisions about the future, our family, like, you know, family tensions, relationship breakdowns, all those things, sickness, illness. What would happen if we prayed the prayer, I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble and you will answer me. So I'd encourage you to pray that prayer next time you're facing issues. So we know later on, in, in later on in it, we know that the reason David's in trouble is from these insolent men, this ruthless gang who don't know God, who are against God. And that's quite a common theme. We haven't, we've seen it, haven't we, already quite a few times in the Psalms as we've gone through. There is some debate um, 
in, com in the commentators, some of them are saying maybe, actually, when he's talking about insolent men, he can mean enemies, because David obviously had lots of them. We know that from the Bible, and he's often fleeing from people. But actually, sometimes they're saying, because in the previous verse he talks about being rescued from the depths of death or the depths of shale, that actually what he could be talking about is just evil, his evil self, this kind of depth of our existence, this subconscious where our wickedness comes from. And we know that Jesus himself tells us that actually from our hearts comes evil, it comes wicked, like evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, slander, lying on our own devices. We are not always good. Actually, I think here David is referring to physical enemies. But I do think it's worth thinking, actually, in the West, that isn't an issue for us. I have never left my house at quarter past eight in the morning when I'm kicking children out the door. I never thought to myself on the way to school, I wonder if I'm going to die. I wonder if I'm going to get killed for being a believer today. I've never even thought, I wonder if someone's going to bully me in the playground because I love Jesus. But I can guarantee every morning before I've left my house at quarter past eight, I've thought to myself, God... That was an like it was such a bad attitude, or that that was just against you. That was sinful. That was not kind. Or my heart is not right because I am weak, and we are weak. We need God to intervene. And actually, the answer we read in this psalm, isn't it, that we call on God constantly for His mercy, and it tells us that God is so good in verse five, so ready to forgive. He's so full of unfailing love for all who to all who ask for His help. Jesus himself, one of the first things he did in ministry was his first entrance is that he declares and quotes from the Old Testament, and he declares that he's come to bring good news to the poor. He's come to bring liberty and freedom to those in captivity and to recover sight to the blind. And actually, he's coming to undo the damage of evil and the damage of sin and damage of the fall and restore those who are poor and needy and restore us back into fullness of life. So actually this morning, if you're at rock bottom, if you're desperate and you don't know what to do, that is exactly perhaps where you need to be because you can call out to God. Romans says, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So actually, whatever the enemy is this morning, we are not physically being attacked at the moment, but... We face enemies, don't we? We face difficulties, we face struggles, be it our own sin, be it relationship tensions, be it the evil powers we fight against. Paul's, uh, the Bible's really clear. We fight against powers and principalities. But actually, we this morning are called to do what Paul did, to do what David did, and not focus the problem, but to focus on God. I think one of the reasons there's a bit of ambiguity about who the enemy even is is because David isn't the key issue. It isn't the key issue. We can read through the psalm and there's questions about this enemy, who he is, what point of history it is, all these questions. But actually, we know from this psalm exactly who his God is. We know that it is a God who is steadfast, a God who is compassionate and forgiving and loving and kind and merciful and gracious, like we just said. David's deepest need and our deepest need is God. So I'd like to look a bit at God this morning. We've talked about all those characteristics, and I haven't got time to talk or do justice to most of them. But I'm going to talk about two things that we haven't... I don't think we've mentioned, actually. That's good. <laughs> I want to talk about... It says, God in the psalm does wondrous things. 
And here the psalmist is talking about salvation. So we know God does lots of wondrous things, doesn't it, don't we? But it's talking about the miracle of salvation. And for David, he had testimony after testimony of God bringing his people back to him and his people turning away, God bringing his people back. But he does that today. He's done that in many of our lives. If we know Jesus this morning, that's what he's done. He's rescued us and redeemed us. And actually, that's an invitation that he has for everybody. Roz said it in that amazing... Roz just looked up. Roz, what have I done? Roz said it in that amazing picture. Actually, there is room on the train for everyone is Jesus' invitation, and you can leave your baggage behind. God does wondrous things. He shows us this beautiful gift of grace so if you, that if you don't know him, his invitation is for this love that we've talked about, this steadfast love. So I spoke a little bit last week about the steadfast love of God and the root word it came from, the hesed word, that it is an unfailing love. It's like a covenant, a promise. It doesn't give up, it doesn't stop, and he shows it to individuals. He shows it to David when David calls him this steadfast God, of steadfast love in verse 13 and verse 5, I think. And he's shown it to many of us, but his invitation is for everyone this morning. It's what, as believers, defines our whole lives, and it's the reason that we're created by God to be loved by him, to enjoy his love and enjoy relationship with him and with his people. And if you don't know that love this morning, but actually you've got more questions about it, you just want to hear what it's like for somebody to have, you know, from, from their personal walk, what it's like, how has this God of love changed your life? Actually, I think everyone that loves Jesus would be able to tell you that this morning. Ask who brought you, ask a friend, ask someone on the welcome team. Actually, we would love to tell you about this God who has never failed us, this God who has not given up on us, who shows us kindness and graciousness. So don't go home today without having those questions answered or, or wanting to find out more, or for signing up for Alpha, like Sai said. But secondly, I wanted to look at God being sovereign as well. Now, it's a little bit more cryptic in the text, and the reason is um, it doesn't say the word sovereign, but there's two lords. If you were eagle-eyed as you read through, there were two different spellings of lord in here. There was the lord, which was capital L-O-R-D, and then there was the Lord, which is capital L, and then little O-R-D. And that one appears seven times, so I wanted to talk about it. The first one means Yahweh. It's the name that God gives his people in the Old Testament. But the, word, the root word from the regular Lord, big L, little O-R-D, it means sovereign. So when David's calling out to Lord, the Lord, he's calling out sovereign. Sovereign Lord. And by sovereign... I mean, if you're not familiar with the word, that actually it means God is in control, that he is, has authority over th- all things. And it's mentioned, as I said, seven times. So God has control, he has authority over and power over all things. Now that can open lots of debate. We're not going to do that here because I don't think it's especially helpful. But I just wanted to remind us this morning of what God is in control over and how it should shape our lives. One, uh, sorry, Colossians 1, verses 16 to 17, tell us, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
So actually, every person that we see, every person that is in authority or leadership over us, every part of creation is in authority to God. So from the waves that were crashing against the boat when Jesus calmed them, the storm to the tiniest, I was going to say tiniest worm, but tiniest fly, if I'm, I'm a bit grumpy at the moment. had this conversation with Anna. There's these tiny flies that I keep getting because I've overwatered my plants and it's winter. And they literally, they're taking over my whole house. So I'm struggling with this theologically. But the tiniest fly God made and made for his glory. If you, if you can give any answers on that, because I, like Anna, I'm just trying to kill them all. Um, that would be good. But actually, down to the tiniest fly, it's created, designed by this beautiful, creative God. And it's to bring him glory. So actually, it includes things like evil powers and principalities that we fight against. It includes Satan. He has authority against them. God is over all. So we live in a tension where we face evil and we only have to turn on the news to see it regularly. But actually, God is in authority. And one day, he'll return and every knee will bow before him, whether they choose to or not. He's in authority over sickness. He is in authority over death. He is in control of the nations as well. We think we're in control as a nation, and we've been trying very hard to do it ourselves. And as Sai pointed out, we are as miserable as we've ever been, and families are at breaking point and in crisis, and poverty is at all-time highs, and actually we're not doing a very good job. But God is in control and has authority. In verse 9, it says, All the nations you've made shall come and worship before you. I want that to be our nation. I want our nation to turn back to God. And it goes on to say, You're great and you do wondrous things. So actually, let's trust God with our lives because he is in control. Let's be like David who says, I am a servant and calls himself servant and calls God sovereign Lord. So I just want to respond with well, five things, but we're going to go very quickly, I promise. And I just really want to focus on verses 11 and 12 this morning because they really um, challenged me and I hope will challenge you. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart and I will glorify your name forever. And I've just highlighted there, I want to look at teach, walk, Unite, thanks, and glorify. I just want to see how actually if God is in control, we can live lives doing those things that will honor him, that will allow him to be reigning over our lives. It says, teach me your way, O Lord. If this song, if this psalm was a pop song, it would be a medley or a mashup, however, well, I don't know what they're called. I'm not very cool. Youth are looking really blankly, like a mashup of Psalms. So it's made almost entirely from other pieces of scripture. So from key verses pulled from the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, and from other Psalms. And actually, I was so encouraged this morning because I could probably think I could have recreated most of the Psalm from what Rob sung this morning. I was, every time I, we got to a different verse, I was like, yes. And I just was so encouraged that God was speaking to us this morning. He, it's almost pulled together and very few of it is original words, which I think is very clever, first and foremost, that David can do that. He could pull these, psalm, these verses and make it coherent. But David couldn't have been able to do that if he didn't deeply know God's word and deeply love God's word and deeply dwell on God's word. 
I'm not going to go into the Bible too much today because Sai spoke on the importance of it last week. But we need to meet God in his word, don't we? Not just on a Sunday, not just in our life groups, but we have to prioritize it highly in our daily lives and make sacrifices to commit to enjoying it and reading it as a way to engage with God, as a way to be fed by him, to be equipped, to be challenged, to be changed, to be more like him. Because David's clear here, if we know God's word and we walk in it, we let it change our hearts, he will t- it will teach us to walk in the truth. And we want our hearts to be changed, don't we? We want our hearts to be more like Jesus's. So it says that we will walk in the way of God. I want to just suggest that's the opposite of just walking in our own strength and just walking in our own direction. Um, something I've been thinking about recently, just actually, do we let God have authority in our lives? So when we said that God is sovereign, we say that God is in control, he's also really good, and he isn't going to force his will on you. He isn't going to force you to submit to him. Actually, he reveals his love to us, and we choose to submit to him. But we need to allow God to have that right place in our lives, not just to be keeping areas of our lives or just giving him this half-hearted kind of approach to following him where we just say, oh God, yeah, we do worship you and we really love you. We love that you've forgiven us, but actually, are we letting it impact our finances, our families, our career decisions, our retirement, our um, comfort, whatever those things are? Because actually, the Bible's quite clear. James tells us that we are to submit to God We sung it this morning that a love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. And Jesus himself says that we're to take up our cross and follow him. It's it's costly to follow Jesus, but it's far more costly if we don't follow him. This half-hearted life of just doing our own thing is not going to please us. Actually, we'll always bow to something. We'll always walk towards something, be a slave to something, but nothing else will satisfy us in the way that Jesus does. It might be our jobs, which fall flat if we get a redundancy letter through the door, or our family, or our friends, or just a relationship, and then we are devastated and crushed when they let us down, because they will. They're human. And actually, it might just be being a comfortable life or having nice things, but we'll get them, and they're not enough. They don't satisfy, so we're just looking for the next thing. But actually, are we letting God fully rule and reign in our life and make the decisions about our plans, our families, our finances, all those things, and following his lead and not just hoping he'll catch up with us? talks about uniting our heart as well. And that's not just being a nicer Christian or being a better Christian or doing better things or, or looking like a better Christian. It's about our, like modifying our behavior, but it's about our change of heart. Our hearts, we want to be united to God. The Bible talks about having a pure heart or the, the Psalm talks about having a pure heart and David talks about wanting an undivided heart, a heart or worshiping God with his whole heart, with his whole self. Jesus is really clear that our greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Our whole selves should be devoted to God. We want to be open to letting him shape us, living in his truth, and being so united with him that when something offends God, it offends us. When something brings joy to God, it brings joy to us. 
When something is pleasing to God, it's pleasing to us. That what God is passionate about is what we're passionate about. That when God is full of compassion, we're full of compassion. When he's full of mercy, we are full of mercy to people. So we need to know him to do that. And Sai has talked multiple times already just in the last month, hasn't he, about not giving up on our first love, about seeking him. Fourthly, just talking about giving thanks. It's something that we really value as a church. We've got it on our um, uh, vision and values, haven't we, that we'd be thankful, and we aim to be thankful to each other, being thankful to God. But I read a study recently that actually it physiologically changes us, and it changes our body. So apparently being uh, thankful can improve our sleep. It can improve our mood, our immunity. That if we're grateful, we can decrease depression and anxiety. It, um, it helps with difficulties with chronic pain. And it also reduces the risk of disease. So I can fairly confidently say that everyone in this room will have suffered or struggled with one of those things at some point in their life and definitely known someone that has. So what I'm not saying is if you've, you've you know, had any form of those difficulties that you are not thankful. Definitely not saying that. But thankfulness has been given by God. It's almost like scientists have discovered something we've never heard before that isn't mentioned in the Bible, that when, Jesus, when Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, that um, because Jesus knows it will do us good, that this is new information. It's not. The Bible gives us this information because it does us good. When we give thanks, it does us good. It changes our heart. Because what it does is it takes the focus off me, like David was doing, takes the focus off me and my problem, and it puts our focus on God, who is in all, who is overall, who is, um, yeah, who is enough. So especially, I would challenge you, if you are like me, the sort of person when the glass is half full, or we like the word realist, then um, try giving thanks. That was my challenge to myself. I'm going to give thanks for 10 things every morning, 10 things every evening this week, because I just know that I get out of that habit and I get grumpy. I want to focus on Jesus. Finally, the psalm, or David says, I will glorify your name forever. We sung that this morning, didn't we? Glorify your name And when we want God glorified, it means that we want him to be more excellent, people to see that he is more perfect, more wonderful, more um, splendid, more excellent than anything else. So we want to live our lives in a way that brings God glory. And really, the last four things, that's... That the outworking of that will be that we glorify God as we, natu- as we draw closer to him, let his word shape us, we will become more like him and we will bring him more glory. But the beautiful thing is, is as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we let God change our hearts, we become more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians says we're transformed into the same image of Jesus by one degree of glory to another. And even more incredibly than that, as we glorify God and become more like Jesus, we will reflect more of Jesus' glory and other people will see the glory of God. And we will see and impact the people around us by glorifying him in our lives. So what I would like to do now is I'm going to ask everyone to stand. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything more. I could just feel people going, what's she going to do now? 
I would like you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask the worship team to start coming up, but I would like you to think of just one really practical way that you can respond to God. If it's an area of your life you need to give over to him, you can pray and you can do that. I said mine is I'm going to be more thankful because I just I don't honor Jesus enough by giving thanks to him every day for what he's done. It might be something like, I want to honor his word, so before I turn my telly on, I'm going to make sure I read a chapter of his Bible every day. It might be something practical that helps you discipline and just focus. Don't just keep it wishy-washy, God, I'm going to love you more, but just I'm going to lay this before you, whatever it might be. One thing I loved about the psalm as I was looking at it is that David doesn't seem to get a reply from God. He doesn't seem to get, oh, thank you, God. Actually, I know you've rescued me. I know that I'm not going to die from these enemies. I know that it's all going to be okay. He doesn't get that, but it doesn't change his heart. It doesn't change his his, um, focus off of God. It doesn't stop him from uh, losing faith. He is fully trusted and invested in sovereign Lord, the Lord who he knows will protect him, the Lord he knows will keep him safe. And the Lord, even if it doesn't, he knows he can be worthy of trusting his whole life to. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Rob. God, we want to be a people who are open to you. We want to be a people who are allowing you to change our hearts because we know that we can't do it on our own. We know that we can only become more like you by your beautiful grace that you show us, by the compassion, the forgiveness, the kindness, the mercy, the grace that you show us that changes our hearts, that softens us, that reveals your heart to us, that lets us be more in step with you and less in step with the things that the world tell us are valuable. God, we want to be people who experience your love and share your love with other people. We know that we are poor and needy. We know that we bring nothing to the table, but we trust fully in you, and we know that you are in control. We know that you love us. We know that your plans for us are that we will enjoy relationship with you and that we will be with you forever. But we want our lives to be lives that are radical and submitted to you in every way while we're waiting for that day, God. We want to be people who are not um, complacent and who aren't focused on other things, but who are focused on you and our need for you because you have shown us kindness and that you have shown us and proved to us through thousands of years of history that you can be trusted and by your character, which is loving and always loving, and you are our love. God, please, would you yeah, meet with us, challenge us when we need challenging. But we love you, God. We want to serve you. We don't just want to be um, happy with Sunday mornings and you know midweek life groups. We want to be lives that are obedient and are open to being changed by you, God. Amen.